I want you to turn to Genesis 26. Lance was supposed to preach tonight. I said, Lance, man, are you going to be offended? He said, no, brother, now is your time. I want to encourage you to invite people to share that aren't going to be offended, that just want God to move. I would do the same for you. Genesis 26, and we're going to begin in verse 18. I felt like while we were worshiping, the Lord gave me such a powerful download, brought such incredible healing to my life in a moment. And I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Paul, tell your story and give me glory. Come on. So I'm going to do something that I've never done publicly. I've done it privately because it's so bloody. It's so gruesome. It's full of so many things that are hard to fathom that I feel I'm supposed to tell my story. And I've not told my story up until this point. Not because I've been scared to. I've told it many times in private. And it's brought a lot of healing to people. I had a counseling ministry that God blessed for many years. But God moved me out of counseling years ago and said, less counseling, more writing. And I wrote a book called Fight the Good Fight in 2020. But I've not written a sentence since 2020. Because in 2021 and 2022, our lives have been under major attack. I've never experienced so much pain, so much warfare, so much confusion, so many things swirling. I've lost so many friends. I was telling Taylor last night, I said, if I didn't believe in spiritual things, I would be unable to make sense of our lives. Come on. Completely. Like this story is not going to make any sense if you don't have spiritual ears. Come on. So I'm going to ask you, to not use this as ammunition in any way because I'm going to be vulnerable because if God is beckoning me to tell my story and to give Him glory, then I'm going to do it with as much fire, with as much passion, with as much integrity and honesty as I know how to do. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Genesis 26 and verse 18. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, or the Hebrew says living water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they contended with him. This is my story. I'm the only member of my family that was born in Indiana, and I used to hate that. Our family is originally from Miami, Florida. That's why we're hurricane fans. If you're a Gator or Seminole fan in here, I bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> Notre Dame and Ohio State too. But we're originally from Miami, Florida. And God moved our family on October 3rd, 1992 to Indiana. I was born in 1993. I'm 29 years old. 
I know I have the bald head of a 45-year-old. But you know, religion loves to look down on people's youth. Anytime I get in a conversation with someone and the first thing they want to know is, how old are you? I'm like, you're carrying religion. So I've learned how to just say, how old are you? And then it gets awkward. Uh, I'm 29. I'm 65. Oh, cool. Praise the Lord. You filed for Social Security yet? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, seriously, religion hates women, loves to suppress women, suppress family, destroy family. Y'all really want me to preach this? You want me to go here? Because we're all carrying the residue of religion in certain measures. We've all been programmed that church is for us. It's all about me. I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't get fed. I didn't listen. If you have ever left a church because you didn't get fed, all that you confessed is that you're an infant in Christ at best. All you declared was, I don't know how to feed myself. I'm just pooping my pants and I'm just still peeing in my diaper. And I've not grown up enough to feed myself and walk with Jesus on my own. See, we've come and we've turned the pulpit into an idolatry set where people come and say, I just want to drink. I just want to eat. Feed me, feed me, feed me. It's like, go get your own oil. Go get your own walk with God. The whole point of this is to equip you for the work of ministry so that you would get in the game and you would get involved and you would find your divine purpose and you would stop watching someone else minister and you would realize that you have a gift and a call and a destiny in the kingdom of God. Church culture has neutered us. Told us that our place is in the seats and don't forget to tithe. You're here to fund someone else's ministry and build their kingdom. And all, all the rich people, they're cast out and made to feel bad for their money. But when there's a building program, now all of a sudden the pastors love them again. Oh, better give them a call. We know they're rich with oil, rich with farming money, rich with whatever. Yeah, we want you back. I'm going to tell it all tonight. Religion has had a grip on the hold of the church of Jesus Christ, but that grip is breaking off. Come on. Come on. You know how many times I've preached stuff like this and someone's like, what do you mean religion's good? James 1 says that religion, we're not talking about the religion that cares for orphans and widows and is undefiled from the world. We're talking about religious tradition that is dead and void of the spirit and power and presence of God, where people are literally gathering and singing songs about God and He's not there. Because we're addicted to our order of service. Where is church culture most deeply embedded in church leadership and in church structures, in the way we do things? You know how many pastors all over this nation are feeling stirred up to pray, but they're scared that if they just turn Sunday morning into a prayer meeting, people will leave. I say do it. What if the new wineskin is prayer and fasting? We're not going to preach. We're not just going to sing songs. We're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to come together and we're going to see what God does. Then God would be the main attraction in His church. 
See, we've kicked him out of his own house and said, we've got better ideas. We know how to draw crowds because we've been given over to money. You can hear a pin drop in this place. But I realize that God raised me up for such a time as this because having lost everything, I'm not scared of it. I mean, we talk about this all the time when God, we shut our church down for three weeks in October. We literally didn't meet. We asked people to repent for being influenced by church culture, by church tradition. We had people get mad. We had people leave. We had people question this or that. We had, you know, it's like, I had a great time. People are like, man, that must have been hard for you. I'm like, we had a great time. We went to the North Georgia Revival. We went to Texas. Taylor was on a recording album with Ross and Audra. I mean, we we had a blast. We just got free. Like, wow, we're serving God and not people's expectations. Wow, yeah. See, because part of church culture is I, I, I need my pastor. Do you want this? Are you sure? I'm asking you. All right, we're about 50-50. So, so we'll, we'll have a fight in the parking lot. I'm just kidding. I was in a melee in a parking lot at 18. It was nasty. Y'all don't understand. I didn't start it. Well, my dad told me that you finish... If it gets started, we did. <laughs> it's embedded in church leadership. It's embedded in the order of service. It's wrapped around money. Because what if the funds don't come in to pay the bills? We got to keep the lights on. Religion says you have to keep the show going. Religion says the show must go on. Religion says, this is how we've always done it. Religion says, it doesn't take all that. Trust me, the voice in your head that tells you that this is a meeting full of a bunch of people that has lost their minds is both right and wrong. Because we have lost our minds. And we don't care what anybody thinks. We want what God wants. But the thing that whispers and the little fox that jumps around in your spirit that says, Oh, there's just like too much love in here, too much passion. What are they doing? We have a tendency as fallen human beings to criticize and fear what we don't understand. So, so many people in Indiana and the Midwest are terrified of the Holy Spirit because they don't understand. And they try to come into the kingdom intellectually... You are not going to comprehend speaking in tongues. That is the whole point. God wants you to babble for His glory. He wants you to pray in a language that you don't understand because He does. And because it brings Him glory and you're edifying your spirit and building yourself up on your most holy faith. Boy, does it irk me when people teach on the armor of God from Ephesians 6 and they stop with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and somehow we forget all about praying in the Holy Spirit. 
God wants us to pray in the Spirit. So if you don't pray in the Spirit, you don't have full armor. I'm not shaming you. I'm not belittling you. I love you, but I'm telling you tonight that you don't pray in tongues because you can live without it. When you get desperate and you don't care, you will pray in the Spirit. We, we wait around for tongues like a burp. Like all of a sudden it's going to be like indigestion. Like, like you're like, hey, but oh, sorry, excuse me. I was just trying to order a number five. 1 Corinthians 14, give it a fresh read with fresh eyes. Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in my understanding. I will. Does that speak to volition? Three of us. Does that speak to the will? I voluntarily submit my tongue. James says that the tongue is the most unruly member of your body. It says that it's set on fire by hell itself in chapter 3. So God would want to take the most hard to control member of your body and tame it for the glory of God. If you want to pray a perfect prayer, pray in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what to pray, pray in the Holy Spirit. If you're confused, pray in a language you don't understand and you will have clarity. But I don't understand. Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe just beyond the realm of your understanding is the kingdom of God waiting for you. Come on. Waiting for you to experience power and anointing. What if you prayed in the Holy Spirit so often you wouldn't need so many people to encourage you all the time? Because God on the inside of you was encouraging you. People ask us, like, well, who encourages you? I'm like, God. Who, 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 who speaks into your life? Well, we have those people. They're here tonight. They're all over. But God encourages us. Yes. Who, who, who pastors you? His name is Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He speaks to us in dreams and visions and revelations and of course in the scriptures. Y'all still here? Thank you God. So I'm the only member of my family. Born in Indiana and I used to hate that fact. My mom would call me her who's your baby. I love you, Mom. Thank you, Lord. What the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn around and use it for good. Amen. So my father has a dream and the Lord points to him and says, now is your time. And he responds to the prophetic call on his life. And my mom and dad, they end up a part of a church. Some of you are here tonight from that place. And I honor you for being here. It warms my heart a lot. And they ended up planting or stewarding a church they changed the name. It was called Maranatha. The building that's right over there on 900 East with a green roof right behind what's now Costco. 
was the church building. I remember the ribbon cutting that day. Because of circumstances, because of mental illness, because of the craziness that comes with all kinds of things. Because my father chose in the face of intimidation to preach on the orphan spirit. When the enemy warned him that he was going to crush him and take his family if he did, he chose to do it anyway. Come on. And in 2005, the church closed. And I remember that day too. And I remember crying with my friends. Come on, bro. Hallelujah. And so because of non-discrimination clauses when you go to sell a, a property like that you don't know who you're selling to my father shows up at the table to sell the building the church is closed and he shows up and it's people in orange jumpsuits with dots on their heads and they're Hindus and the church becomes a Hindu temple from 2005 to 2021 And now it's Avon Heights Church of Christ. I'm grateful that it's back in the kingdom, but there's more. Come on. Y'all have no idea the shame that has tried to tower over me all my life. Come on. So in 2010, we moved to Florida to plant Heart of the Father ministry out of my brother Jeremiah's living room because my dad wanted to help his son. Because my father refused to quit. We received so many accusations. There were so many people that believed lies about my father. They never called him. They never asked him what's the truth. So many lies, so much accusation, so much quarreling. I remember because of the circumstances going through the winter of 2008, and we couldn't afford to heat the house. And it was in foreclosure. And my nose used to break open and bleed in the middle of the night because it was so cold. And I would wake up and my fingers and my toes would hurt. And my dad would write me checks for lunch money. And when I would run out of money, I would steal from the lunch line because I didn't want to ask him for more money because I knew he would write a check and he would not eat. And I stole out of the candy cart and I found ways to try to make money. I was just a kid trying to survive. I remember being a freshman in high school and in Avon High School here, if you were on reduced lunch, 
you had to have a styrofoam tray. Everybody else got a plastic tray. So everybody knew who the poor kids were. And the shame of it all, I just couldn't do it. I remember getting that styrofoam tray and getting made fun of. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. I remember sleeping in a room at my dad's house. All kinds of crazy stuff in this time. And I remember not having a mattress in the room. And one of the deacons from the old church that believed all the lies about us. My dad said, I need a mattress. And he said, I'll sell you a mattress for $50. And we didn't have any money. And years later, I got to use his truck. And I filled it up with gas for him because he let me run an errand. I hadn't seen him in years. And I'm here to bear witness to you. I filled his truck up with gas and it was $50. Come on. And I got to bless those that tried to hurt us and it released something over my life. We don't render evil for evil. And Mitchell and his family were so gracious to me. His mom, Gina, was so healing to my life. We didn't have anything. And she would go to the store. And she would just happen to buy an extra toothbrush. Because she saw my toothbrush. With all the bristles falling out. She would just happen to buy extra socks. The reason why I hate poverty so much. The reason why I can't stand how cheap people are here. It's crazy, but in Indiana, people are rich and they're cheap at the same time. Because they're under the dominion of poverty. Everybody's scared of the prosperity gospel, but we've bought the poverty gospel hook, line, and sinker. So we moved to Florida in 2010. And I felt like I had made it out of Egypt and into the promised land. I remember rolling down the window of the car when we reached the Indiana-Kentucky line and hawking a loogie out of the window and thanking God for delivering me and cursing Indiana. And saying, I'm never coming back. Never. And then in 2015, after the church was flourishing, Taylor and I were on staff at the church in full-time ministry. We got married. God was blessing us. The Lord was healing us. I fell into a series of dreams a month after we were married and God began to speak to me about the apostolic call on my life. And I had only considered myself a shepherd. And there were things that got awakened inside of me that terrified me. There were things that scared me so bad. 
I remember calling my dad and sharing what I was dreaming and what God was saying and revealing, and he said, I've been waiting on this. Because he knew, but he knew that I had to find it for myself. Actually, all my life, he tried to talk me out of the ministry. Yeah. If you can do something else with your life, do it. But he knew that if he couldn't talk me out of it, then it had to be God. Seriously, I'd start talking about a desire. He'd be like, let me tell you a war story. I mean, you're like, whoa. I mean, it's like a young man being like, yeah, we're going to war. And they're like, let me tell you about men with no legs. Let me bring it into perspective. So we crossed the state line, never coming back. God blesses us. We're in Florida. 2015, I start having more dreams, and God speaks to me. And this is the governing word over our lives that sent us back here. Taylor's born in Illinois, grew up in Tennessee. We met in Florida. We've been on a journey. We met because God wanted us to. I know everybody has to stand the test of time. But I have no doubt that God brought us together. Come on. That you're the wife that the Father always had for me. I'm so grateful I honor you in this moment because I would not be standing here with the courage to do this without you. So the Lord says, if you will move back to Indiana, I will restore your inheritance to you. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I'll restore your inheritance to you. And he gives me three things, three directives. He says, feed my sheep. Build my house and slay the giants that torment my people. I feel like I'm slaying giants tonight. I feel like I've fed the Lord's sheep and we've built them a house. But now I'm transitioning into slaying giants. We need to talk more about religion. We need to talk more about poverty. We need to talk more about sexual immorality and sin in the church. We need to talk more about the crisis that we have in the body of the Lord where we don't know what to do with people that don't really want to change. Wow. Yes. Because we're too afraid to practice church discipline and follow Matthew 18 and do it God's way. Why? Because people will leave and we'll lose money. We've publicly rebuked people here before. Not because we... we lead with a heavy hand or because we delight in exposing people. No, that was one of the most powerful. The mercy of God was in this place. I mean, you can, if you can picture someone stuck and trapped in sin and adultery and people gathering around them and, and praying and singing and believing that God was going to break into their life. That's what our church discipline looked like here. And that day people left and never came back and there were people that stayed that said, now we know why the Lord sent us here. Because right. y'all are actually going to practice the word of God. <laughs> because we love the word and the spirit. Because those are the two railroad tracks. Because here in this region you have a lot of the word and no spirit. And some of the places that have the spirit, they don't actually want the word. There's whole groups of people in this state that are literally on the run from spiritual authority. Amen. 
revival wannabes. Oh, we want, but no, we won't. We're not going to submit. We're not going to be accountable. We're not going to have. No, we're, we're just going to be on the outskirts. You you do the work, and we'll show up when it gets really awesome. So in 2015, I have more dreams. The Lord says, I'll restore your inheritance to you if you'll move back. And I'm like, I'm not going back. And through a series of confirmations, I mean powerful, prophetic confirmations, because part of the Lord sending me here is he told me that I was a scribe and that he had called me to write. And I'm ashamed that I've lived here for seven years and I've only written one book, but I believe that's going to change. It's not going to be seven more years before I write something else. So I need to be obedient, stop wasting time. And I need to stop allowing the church and people's expectations to define who I am or my assignment. Because I've been under the power of religion too. Feed my sheep, build my house, slay the giants that torment my people. I remember telling Taylor what God was saying in the confirmations and praying to the Lord that she was going to say no. Now, at first she said, Indiana, there's no mountains. There's no beach. We're not moving there. I was like, thank you, God. See, see, Lord, you're going to have to. And then the Lord continued to speak and continue. And I remember sharing with her and she goes, well, sounds like it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I'm like, no, 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 hold on. I lost my partner in rebellion. You're supposed to run from God with me. At least we'll be together. I'm serious. I am an idiot. I'm so stubborn that I have taken pride in my ability to resist the Lord how nasty is that I feel so dead right now I don't care like I've got to get free I've just got to follow Jesus I'm not a pastor and I have no intentions of pastoring this church we're going to set in elders a team of people that are called to shepherd the flock of God and care and meet the needs of this house because that's divine order. So we moved back and it was horrible. I'd love to tell you we moved back and a bird landed on the moving truck and sang me a song. Y'all, we got people around here that literally think animals manifest and speak to them, okay? We got people around here that, that pray to the dead and, and think it's the Holy Spirit. That ain't the Spirit of God. That's witchcraft. You don't want any part of that stuff. Y'all doing okay? I told you I was going to tell the truth. So we moved back, and it was painful. And I remember the Lord saying to me, we moved back. I was born at Community North Hospital in Castleton on the northeast side of Indianapolis. And I remember the apartment that we moved back to, it's called Waterside at Castleton, and it was literally right across the street from the hospital. I mean, y'all, <laughs> this was a divine setup. <laughs> 
We moved back January 30th of 2016. And by April of 2016, I'm in a deep, dark depression. And I cannot get out. I'm back serving tables, waiting tables like I did before we were in full-time ministry in Florida. The relief that I felt to not be in ministry was so real. I'm going to be honest. I cannot relate to people that are dying to be in ministry. I'm like, thank you for broadcasting your ignorance. You don't know the cost. You don't understand the warfare. You, you don't get it. And all the pastors and leaders are saying amen because this stuff isn't a game. It's real. It will cost you. People will turn on you. You will lose friends. You will lose money. You will lose sleep. But if you know that Jesus is worth it, doesn't matter whatever you lose so long as you gain Christ. And in April, I'm in that depression, I'm in that swirl, and the Lord says, I want you to drive over to the hospital, and I want to tell you something about the day you were born. And I said, no. Were you waiting for the moment where I drove over there and God spoke to me? I, I didn't do it. I'm not proud of my disobedience. I was in a bad place. God, I don't want to be here. All I feel is shame. All I feel is the, the mocking voices. All I feel, all, Indiana was a wasteland to me. Why would you want to move to Indiana? So I start serving tables when I get back. I worked at Sullivan's and then I worked at Mama Carolla's. It's the best Italian restaurant in Indianapolis. If you disagree, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't work there. I don't have any stock in the company, but you should take your wife there, brothers, and have a date. I'll buy you a gift card so that we can kick the poverty spirit out and the one that makes you want to not love your wife and just be lazy in a couch potato. Women want to be romanced. Where are the ladies tonight? Women want to be romanced. I'm in the store a month ago. I've got flowers. I've got roses. And this old woman's like, oh, is it your anniversary? I was like, no, I just try to love my wife all year round. Our anniversary's in November. It'd be 10 years. Thank you, God. So I'm in that swirl. I'm in that bad place. I'm serving tables at a restaurant. Do you know how many people, literally, I mean, I, I, obviously God's given me a gift, but I love serving tables. I mean, I was like, this is, this is literally the belly of the whale for me. <laughs> this is awesome. At least there's food here. <laughs> and y'all can see I like food too much. It's part of my shame. Part of mom not being around. So... All of them were like, you moved from Florida? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Go ahead. Say whatever you're going to. I was like, you're supposed to move to Florida. I'm like, I know I did that, and God called me back here. And all of a sudden, I started to experience divine favor like I've never known in my life. For our first year here, the only thing I knew how to say was, I'm in my jurisdiction. <laughs> 
It was the only thing I could liken it to. Like all of a sudden, I mean, when I worked at Carabas in Lakeland, Florida, I showed up 15 minutes early to every single shift to pray for my coworkers. God gave me words of knowledge and moved in power in that space, but I never saw much fruit. I remember the guy dropping a rack of wine glasses on my fingers, almost breaking my fingers, dropping it from high. I was trying to help him and bang, and I went, oh. He goes, wow, you didn't cuss. You really are a Christian. <laughs> Did you know that James says that if you can't even watch your mouth, your religion is pointless? Well, God wants to purify what comes out of here because he's trying to deal with what's in here. You're not allowed to hate yourself, by the way. You're not, you need to repent for hating what God loves and what Jesus gave his life for. That's been my journey. I saw fruit very minimally down in Lakeland when I worked there. But all of a sudden at Mama Corolla's, I said, does, does anybody want to pray before our shift starts? And the next thing I know, there are 15 people co-workers before the shift start and we're praying and I'm like going did I did I do something different <laughs> seriously I was trying to make sense of what is this hey y'all want to pray they're like yeah we'll pray I mean I'm like oh, these are people that don't know God okay I mean the, the restaurant industry is full of sexual immorality and perversion I mean it, you, you don't want to work at a restaurant unless you're called there Man, I said, hey, let's pray. I, I start, my prayers were like, Father, we thank you that you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. I mean, I preached the gospel in prayer. I started seeing people come to the Lord. I remember I'm in the middle of a Friday night. I'm pouring sweat. I mean, we're making money and we're working hard. And I go into the walk-in freezer for a, a, a something that I was getting. And one of the cooks follows me in to the, the walk-in freezer, and he, and he spoke, we were speaking mostly Spanish, and he says to me, I had a dream, and you know what it means. This guy doesn't know Jesus. And he says, there was a man in white that appeared to me and told me that he loves me, and all I could see is clouds. Who is that man? Wow. Wow. Come on. Come on. It ain't Buddha. It ain't Allah. It ain't Confucius. It's Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. <laughs> I'm like, what, what in the world? That's so how I worked there, and a, and a year passes, and now we're getting into 2017. And God says to me one night, I mean, I loved working in the restaurant, okay? If you ever want to have, like, some private dining and you want me to be your server, I'll take care of you. <clears throat> But you're going to have to tip well. It matters. Your witness and how you tip 100% matters. Jeez. You know the worst time to work in a restaurant? Sunday afternoon. You know why so many unbelievers hate the church? Because Christians go out and tip like garbage or don't tip at all. I've had people hand me gospel tracts and I grabbed it and said, I'm already born again. That's not a tip. I had one lady tell me, I don't give you more than I give my Lord. She tipped me 9%. Like, 
to the penny. Or literally, she typed it up on her phone on 9%. If you're in here and you tip 9%, you need to repent. I'm serious. That's not right. These people are trying to make a living and feed their family. And if you talk about Jesus, and, it, and you should be, by the way, and you're having gospel conversations in public over breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you remember what we did today, my Lord. <laughs> Give an offering that's worthy of Jesus. You feel like you're not getting through to your server? Tip them well and start talking to them about Christ. Because money moves the heart. Jesus. So I'm working in the restaurant and God says, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm working. <laughs> I don't get it sometimes. <laughs> what are you doing here? I mean, stop me. I'm, I literally, I remember right where I was. I could take you right to that space in the restaurant. What are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm working. I got to go. <laughs> I know it's funny, but man, it's sad. Lord, forgive me. <sighs> Jesus. And the Lord says, I've called you to preach my son. And I've called you to influence Indiana. So I settled. And because of the influences in my life, we didn't plant the church then. We extended our exile. And another year went by, and I was working in social work. I had no degree in social work. I had a Bible college degree. And I'm working in social work. At least I'm helping people now. At least I'm able to share the gospel with them, but I'm not in my true lane. I'm closer, but I'm not all the way there. I'm, I'm somewhere between where I encounter God and Nineveh. <laughs> and the very first day that I was on the job, it was February 10th of 2017. I almost died. Seriously, I almost lost my life. It's the most scared I've ever been. I was down in a rough neighborhood in Marion County and I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I see a hand pop up behind the door through the glass and go like this. And I'm, I'm supposed to be there doing healing therapy with a family for their kids because they're separated by the state due to abuse, addiction, neglect. I'm supposed to be ministering to them and helping them and I see this hand and I'm like, I said, are you expecting someone? And the guy goes, what? What? I said, I, I just saw somebody stuck their hand up. Man, he rips the door open in this totally drug-influenced lady with sunken in eyes is standing there. And he's like, what are, you, what are you doing? And she's like, hey, I'm just looking for Joe. And he's like, Joe doesn't live here. And he follows her out in the yard and there was like an old fridge and an old washing machine and all the stuff grown up. And there were people behind the house and they were trying to lure him out and jump him. And he manages to come back inside, slam the door. I'm literally sitting at the kitchen table in dress clothes. If I was not in dress clothes that day, I would have died. I'm sitting there in dress clothes. 
he comes in and he passes me and he snarls and he says, I'll never forget his teeth that day. He says, you're about to see a real bad side of me. And he goes under his mattress and he gets a revolver. And he flashes, his at, flashes it at me as he walks past me. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm leaving. <laughs> this is the part where you drop everything in R-U-N, run. And I go for the front door. I mean, this house is like literally this big. I mean, this is, you're talking poverty now. Roaches crawling on the couches and kids sleeping in trash. And I mean, awful stuff. Houses that smelled so bad, you either quit or you got used to it. Nasty. You're about to see a real bad side of me. I'm like, I'm out of here. I turn for the front door. And when I step out the front door, I look and I see three men in hoodies with their hands in their hoodie pockets and they're all next to each other. And I know they're armed because you just know. They're not playing solitaire under there. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm listening to them shout and yell and breathe threats in the backyard. These guys are standing there right at the bumper of my car looking at me and I'm looking at them. And I'm like, this is it. Like there's the, and when I step out, they step forward, like in unison, like. And I just literally started screaming and running down the street. I mean, I ran just all the way down. I ran so far, I ended up in some railroad tracks. I had no idea where I was. I didn't care. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> That's the second reference tonight, and I've never seen that movie. (laughs) Should we have some Bubba Gump shrimp? And God spared my life that day. And I go back to the office, and because of how I handled that, I remember calling and saying, like, this is my first day. Seriously. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to change the world. All right, here's the funny part. Can I, tell, can I tell on you? All right, I won't do it. I had a bad feeling driving to this place. Now, I'm not giving over to fear. I don't struggle with it, but I like driving this thing. I'm like, man, just got this like going on. Like Something's not right. I called Taylor and said, honey, would you, would you pray for me? I just feel like something's... Like, I don't know. I just need your prayers. Would you pray for me? (laughs) After I survived this thing, I said, thank God you prayed. She said, I forgot. (laughs) I said, well, Jesus must have been interceding for me then. He's filling in the gap. Thank you. I know you prayed for me. But, man, that story is so funny. We've laughed and laughed and laughed. Every time we drive to the Indianapolis Zoo, we pass by this, this spot, and I want to turn down the street and say, thank you, God, for saving my life on Addison Street in Indianapolis. Man. Oh. Guys. Oh, my Lord. I don't know how we got here, but I'm having fun. I'm just getting free. I appreciate you listening. Man, this feels so good. Come on, brother. And so... I'm still not fully doing what the Lord wants me to do. But because of that and how I handled that, I show back up. They're like, 
I'm like, what do I do? They're like, um, call 911, and while you're calling 911, drive back to the office. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that sounds good. I'm like, but I have another appointment. They're like, no, 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 you're not going. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Am I still going to get paid? <laughs> and I drive back to the office, and the joy of the Lord hits me, and I start laughing. I'm in hysterics. I'm sure I was decompressing because when I got back to my car, I'm literally like this. I mean, like, I've never seen my hand shake like that. The adrenaline was so real. I couldn't even put the keys in the ignition. I mean, I'm like, I don't even know if I remember how to drive. So I drove all the way back to the office. I get there, and I'm cracking jokes and laughing. I was like, hey, February 10th, sun's out, gun's out, baby. I start making all of them laugh, and they're like, we need to sit you down, and we need to have, you need to do trauma counseling, and you need to whatever, and I'm like, actually, I got a four o'clock, and I'm going, because I need the money, and so I was like, unless you guys are going to fire me, I'm going to my, ne-. and I went, I just brushed it off, and like, I'm going, well, after only five weeks of being on the job, I received a promotion. And I became a lead supervisor within the company. And I started managing 50 people under me in Marion County. People that had master's degrees in social work. (laughs) Oh, y'all want to know about the dark side of favor? People will hate you when God shows you his favor. Most of the suffocating presence that I've wrestled with in my life is jealousy. I remember Aaron Molesky laying hands on me and saying, God, I pray that you would give Paul brothers that are not like Joseph's brothers that wouldn't throw him in a hole. And I'm like, Aaron, I think you need to pray that again. (laughs) God has done so many spectacular miracles in my life that if I told you, you would struggle. So I tell people that can handle it. His favor. I didn't earn it. I didn't ask for it. I'm trying to run from this thing. And the Lord's like, I bless you and I love you. I'm like, you're supposed to be mad at me. It's like, I love you. I bless you. I'm like, how can I make you mad? I love you. I mean, I'm like, I need you to be mad. I love you. I'm like, come on, man. See, we need God to be made in our image so that we can serve him easier. And we project things onto the Father because of our experiences in life that have nothing to do with Him. And we expect God to treat us how other people have treated us, and He's not a man. He's not like us. So we can't make God in our own image. We can't return the favor. He made us in His image, in His likeness, and we've said, let us make you back. No. How do we unpack that? Through the Word of God, which is His primary self-revelation. This is God telling us, this is who I am, truly. So I see favor, and I start supervising all these people. And God starts moving powerfully. And because of that promotion, we were able to get a down payment on a house And we were able to get a loan on my income because before that it wasn't stable. Because it was based on commission and hours and all that stuff. But because of that promotion to a salary level job, we got our first house, which we started the church out of. And we were on the east side of Indianapolis. 
Because anywhere but Avon. Anywhere but the scene of the crime. Anywhere but Hendricks County, my God. And we're over there on the east side. And the people that start coming to the church are from the west side. (laughs) What? Like driving across the city. Can't reach anybody on the east side. Not in my lane. Not in my jurisdiction. I don't know. Just be obedient. So we decide, you know what? We're not doing anything wrong. We just have to fish where the fish are. We need to cast our net on the other side. So we go from the east side to the west side. And God brings abundant blessing. We sold that house on the east side. Listen, you don't buy a house and turn around and sell it a year later. Not when you spent all of your money. (laughs) On the down payment for the house. We had $9,000 to our name. It cost us $7,800 to get the house and move to the house. I mean, when I'm talking house poor, plus you got bills, plus you have expenses, plus you're eating, plus people are over painting your house and don't you dare be cheap. No, you buy them pizza and you thank them. Listen, if you think you're all of a sudden going to become generous when you have more money, you are lying to yourself about the condition of your heart. Wealth doesn't make you generous. You can be wealthy and still cheap. God sells that house for us for $10,000 more than what we bought it for a year before. And we made a lot of improvements to the house. We put in a new garbage disposal. (laughs) And it wasn't made of gold. (laughs) Look at the Lord. I'm like, we're going to sell this house and we're going to have nothing. We're going to be back to renting. We're going backwards. God, what are we doing? The Lord's like, oh, you bought it for this. Just 10 more thousand. It's easy for the Lord. And I'm like, man, I need to get bigger faith. Maybe I'd see more. So we moved to the west side. And the very first night that I sleep in Avon, that I lay my head down, and we have a home in Avon again in October of 2018, I have a dream. And it wasn't a good dream. I had a dream that I met an old friend and that I had an affair on Taylor. And that I went into all the bars and clubs around here and I started a rally for living for the world. I mean, I saw power come out of me in that dream where people were following me to the gates of hell. Not to storm them, but to enter them. And I woke up from that dream and I started laughing. I said, the devil knows I'm back. Because I ain't doing that. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not leading people to hell. I'm pulling them out of hell. It was so encouraging. He should have never messed with my sleep. And I was like, oh. Listen, you, you don't start getting flack and pushback until you're over valuable targets. And I realized we're getting closer. So the church continues to flourish. We start looking for a space. We had children taking naps in our bedrooms. We had kids coloring at a table 
in our master bedroom. We had people in the, the living room, in the kitchen, sitting on the stairs, in the hallway. Some of you were there. Some of you have hung on. Unfortunately, some people left too soon. The devil picked them off. It was time to let them go. I'm not weeping for Saul anymore. Some of you know what that means. And so we look for a space. And on Easter Sunday of 2019, we got that little space up there right off of 36. And it was amazing. It was amazing. God moved so mightily that Easter. There was so much joy. After the service, my dad said, Paul, here's something you wouldn't know. We opened our church on Easter Sunday when you were a little boy. I thank you, God. I remember one time I was preaching my... This is one of my favorite stories. I was preaching my guts out. There were like 30 people there. And I was, I was on one. The Lord had given me a word and I was preaching it. And he came up to me. I'm still sweating. We closed the service and Pops walks up to me and he's laughing. <laughs> he's like giggling inside. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> you know, he comes up and he said, Paul, you're going to have a church of four, you, Taylor, and your kids. <laughs> He said, son, I'm so proud of you. He said, if anybody wasn't preaching for the money, it's you. <laughs> he said, no one, you know, he was joking, but he's like, man, you know, I, dad, I got an assignment, man. I feel a burning. I feel like people are afraid to preach the truth. I feel like everybody's skirting around the issue and petting religious demons, and I don't want to do it. Because here's what I've realized. Being back here is so painful, it might as well be worth it. We might as well really make the devil pay. Yeah. Not with a nice, cute little church. Woohoo! Look at your kids' programs and look at how people are. No, we want the power of God. Ow. Programs aren't bad. We love kids. We care. We every single one of our volunteers is background checked because we're not messing with that. We're going to keep our kids safe. If you work in these nurseries and these classrooms, we know you and we trust you. That's important. Yes, it is. You mess someone's life up forever with that. That's demonic. So the church continues to flourish and God continues to bless us. And I'm going to tell you some more details that you've not yet heard. Some of you, you're on leadership, you don't even know some of these stories. And a couple that was very precious to us, that was so meaningful, a longtime friend, best friend, gets picked off by the enemy, starts believing lies, spirit of offense comes over him. Man, when people start acting some type of way and you can't figure it out again, I couldn't make sense of our journey unless I understood the spiritual realm. Come on. People say, I love you, I'm for you, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm going to slit your throat. And you're like, what has gotten into it? All I've tried to do is love you. Right. Or show me, how have I sinned? Show me my sin, I will repent. I'm sorry, what have we done? Oh, I just like, people get hijacked by evil agendas. And they get picked off. And it was one of the most painful meetings when we met and they said, we're leaving the church. 
I mean, it cut us so deep. I was like, I never wanted to quit so badly in my life. And yet there were times coming where I'd want to quit more. Wow, say that. And it was so painful, so, so gutting. And just a couple of days later, that same week in January of 2020, one. Man, it's crazy. <laughs> that same week that they leave and we get gutted and we're like, man, let's just shut this thing down. This is awful. I mean, I never imagined that the way for so many people to hate us and turn on us and believe lies about us was to plant a church and preach the gospel. I remember naively thinking that telling people there is more there's more to God. There's more to the Holy Spirit. The Trinity isn't Father, Son, Holy Bible. It's Holy Spirit. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. He wa I remember thinking like, man, naively, this is going to excite people. No, man, it made people mad. Because what they heard was you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, I'm not being critical of you. I'm just trying to invite you in to more. Because there's more. Religion sucks. Religion will take the life out of you. The wet blanket tribe wants to put out your fire. Wants to warn you that you're too serious about the things of God. And the same week that they leave the church, the same week that we're gutted, just a couple of days later, guys, this is a real story. That same week that we are broken and hurting and completely crushed. I'm up there preaching. And I'm like, God, you're going to have to help me because I just, I can't do this. And I'm preaching. And God gives me a word and worship and I preach it. Man. <laughs> Jesus, you know. And I preach this word. And you preachers know I just got on one. And I just went off about something. And in the middle of, of whatever I was popping off about, people are like, why are you so angry? I'm like, I'm not angry, but if I'm angry, I'm angry at the devil. I'm not angry with you. But man, I hate sin. And I hate deception. And I hate how the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I hate that people lock arms with the devil and defend the devil's work. And make a mockery out of the church and the gospel of Jesus. That same week that we're totally gutted, I'm on one. And I just mouth off. If someone gave us $100,000 right now, we wouldn't go buy lights and smoke and a fog machine and start entertaining you. And there was a couple in the church that said, we've been praying about giving $100,000 to this church. And when you said that, we knew it was the Lord. Wow. Come on. And I was like, I got to sit down. I mean, we had, no, we had no money. We don't have a plan B. We don't have somebody to, we, 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 we've been giving away money like crazy in the last couple of days. We've been having so much fun. We've written more checks. I mean, we've been just like, Lord, we're going to bless. We're going to honor. We're going we're gonna to empty this thing. 
My dad used to say, if it's a non-for-profit, then why do you have money in the bank? <laughs> and then when we started the church, he tried to walk that one back like, hey, hold on. I'm like, no, nah, I remember what you said, pops. <laughs> and they gave $100,000 to the church. And it was like, Lord, how can we support more missions? How can we do more for your kingdom? How can we honor you? How can we, you know, yeah, it, like seriously, that was the kindness of God. Like, I see you. I know your pain. I'm watching and I'm still going to bring my blessing. Amen. <laughs> Only God knows how thin the twine really got. But God. But God. And so they gave the money and we continued on. And through betrayal and through lies and through slander and through trying to honor people that are very important to me, honoring in the face of dishonor, I mean, stories that it wouldn't be right if I told them, but man, they're nasty. <clears throat> crazy <sighs> somebody comes up to me with a word somebody I've never met and it's May of 2022 and they said because you've chosen to honor in the face of dishonor because you have determined in your heart to bless those who curse you. The Father has seen you and he's going to bless you and open doors for you and raise you up and make you a voice to the nation. Come on. And I heard that and I'm like, I, I'm an ant. Like, I, I'm like a voice to the, I mean, we like prophesy nations and nations over, you know, you're going to, I mean, like, I'm the guy that's like, yeah, you got a prophecy about reaching the nations, but you can't reach your neighbor. Try again. We have people that think they're going to go on foreign soil and win souls to Jesus and they can't reach people in their own culture, in their own language. But we're supposed to support you. But I'm like, show me the fruit. Well, we support the Molesky's because they're doing real gospel work because they're kingdom people. We sent them out in April of 2019 and we've supported them monthly ever since. And we will never stop. We'll take out a loan if we have to. Yeah. Because the Lord is in it. Yeah. And His will is His bill. And where there's vision, there's provision. And so they give me that word and I'm like, y'all, there, there's a whole lot that's happened. There's a, I mean, I've got people in my life that are literally best friends. They won't even talk to me and they won't tell me why. People I've lived with, people I've wept with, people I've prayed with, they, they literally won't talk to me because somebody got a hold of them and lied to them and they're in their little network of deception and delusion. And they're Christians. I was 18 years old and this man laid his hands on me and he prophesied to me and he said, the brethren, the brethren, the brethren will attack you. But get up your shield and go. Come on. 
that's not a word you want. I'm like, man, I should have left. I shouldn't have come forward for prayer. <laughs> I thought prophecy was for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Well, guess what? The fivefold prophets get extra liberty. They do because they carry authority. It's not just the gift of prophecy. Judgment begins in the house of God, and he brings it through the mouth of his prophets, which is why we stone them and we hate them and don't want to listen to them. So I start looking up like this person that gives me that word about dishonor because that week they had picked off more people from this church telling lies and slander and gossip. And when I was 21, another older man in the faith gave me a word and said, God has given you a heart like David and it will never be taken from you. And so I, I learned from David right out of the scriptures that I'm not going to touch Saul. I'm not going to, I just, Lord, you know. I trust you to defend me. I'm not going to, I could defend myself and I could cause massive wreckage. I'm not going to. I'm going to let you defend me. You know the truth. I could break up their little party if I wanted to. I've got evidence. The Lord's like, you having the receipt in your pocket honors me. False accusation is like having a receipt in your pocket and getting arrested for theft. And you're like, no. And the Lord's like, are you going to touch that? And you're like, no, Lord, I'll just go wherever you want me to go. You know the truth. You understand. It honors God. So I started, is this person that prophesied that word to me, is there any way that they could know about this stuff? Not a chance. No mutual, nothing. And I knew it was God. And it intimidated me. And so the Lord continues to bring His blessing upon the church. And here we are, we go through the reset in October of last year. And we're here right now in these special meetings. It's a Wednesday night at 1017. What are you doing here? You must be hungry for God. You must have a burning passion and desire to see God move in power in our state. Something must be stirring on the inside of you that says, what we're doing is not working. And we need you to move. I'm believing for an awakening in Indiana. And I'm believing that our Father's house is going to host it some way, somehow. We don't know what that looks like. I know what everybody's thinking. It's like, guys, just take it a step at a time. Let's go low. Let's humble ourselves. We're going to need people to serve and die to themselves. We're going to need people to give. And I'm not talking about out of your checking. I'm talking about out of your savings and your 401k. To do what God has asked us to do. It's going to take faith from all of us. It's going to take breaking the poverty mentality that causes you to regret giving unto the Lord. That when you give that money, you start thinking about what you could have done with that money. No, the enemy wants to entice you to think about what you could have done with the money that you would have been robbing God with had you not given it. And everybody that laughed actually gives to the Lord. Listen, we've already taken up the offering. There ain't going to be a special this or that. This is kingdom work. This is kingdom truth. 
This is if God has all of me, then he gets everything that comes with me. I've been at, I mean, we're in a unique time in the life of this church and in our family. We have everything out on the table and we're saying, God, how do we obey you? I'm talking about looking in the mirror and saying, could I write a check for every dollar that's in my bank account? And if the answer is no, I don't have a hold of my money. My money has a hold of me. So much for tithing. Oh God, I've heard that. Oh God only wants 10%. Please read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about grace and giving. In the old covenant, the poorest of Jews at least gave that much. They really gave more. With all the tithes and the offerings and the alms. If God under the old covenant expected that, from the poorest of Jews, how much more from us wealthy Americans because tithing was meant to be the training wheels in the Old Covenant. We're supposed to break past into the joy of giving and actually praying and saying, God, what do you want me to give? I've been after some of you brothers about carrying cash. Because you don't carry cash because you're scared you'll give it away. Because you're under the dominion of poverty thinking. People think I'm crazy, y'all. They're like, how much money you got on you? I'm like, don't tell anybody. They're going to rob me. But this ain't for me. This is for the kingdom. This is if we meet somebody. And listen, can I tell you, God always brings it back in. When you sow, you're like, well, we don't give to get. Well, listen, I understand the heart. But when you put seed in the ground, you expect something to grow, right? The Word of God calls money seed. You sow seed. You sow it into the kingdom of God. You say, Jesus, I believe in you and I worship you with my money and I want to see you move. Here's the deal. If you don't believe in the vision of the ministry that you're a part of enough to give to it, find somewhere that you do. Put your money in a separate account and save it until you find a place. Know while you're in between, no, you're still not allowed to rob the Lord. My dad used to tell me, Paul, if you have to get a second job in order to do what God requires of you, you do it. Come on. That's the fear of the Lord. That's Jesus being the Lord of your finances. Amen. So we've got everything out on the table right now. And if you trust the Lord, that excites you. But if you have a spirit of fear, that puts all kinds of uncertainty and makes you want to email me 15 questions I don't know the answer to. Email me at mitchell at ourfathershouse.com. No, I'm serious. He's here to love you and shepherd you and care for you. I mean, this guy is a gift. He's like, I'm like, what are you so happy about? He's like, I'm going to bring so-and-so diapers and hold their baby. And I'm like, you are a beautiful man. <laughs> it's not that I don't love people, but I don't want to do that. Just don't. Because I've got a different assignment. And that's the whole point. The kingdom of God together working to meet legitimate needs. But I can't get pulled off my assignment anymore. I can't do it. I'm going to have to start telling more people no. I just can't. 
Because the Father is requiring something of me in this season. And I'm understanding the cost and the weight of it more and more and more and more. Right now, I've got all kinds of invitations and things swirling. And it's like, Lord, well, well, what up? And the Lord's like, do you trust me? Do you believe that I've built our Father's house and that the foundation is me? Then you're going to have to release the church to me. So that's where we're at and that's what we're doing. And God comes breaking in and I believe we're supposed to host the Holy Ghost with all my heart. Honestly, I'm more excited about Sunday nights than I am Sunday mornings. Because I believe we're going to touch the region. I mean, I asked Taylor like weeks ago, I'm like, so how are we going to reach our region without regional meetings? Are you hearing me tonight? How are we going to change our city? How are we going to reach other pastors and leaders around? Y'all have had the hardest time making friends, and it's not because I'm rude. It's because religion is territorial and intimidated and possessive. I can't stand it. Oh, my church and my worship leader and my deacons. and my, I'm like, these are people that Jesus paid for with his blood. You don't own them. They don't belong to you. They belong to him. Amen. <laughs> Y'all okay? Yeah. I feel a sense of excitement in my spirit. Come on. Listen, Taylor said midnight. I told y'all I'm not gonna make my wife mad. Oh, now now she's backing down. Well, guess what? I ain't backing down. We're swinging for giants tonight. So. I'll make you an offer before the Lord. How about this? This is an honest question, okay? I'm looking for a response. So this is the part where you respond. <laughs> and preaching in Indiana, Lance, you preach and everyone goes. I'm like, you have been conditioned to hear the truth and not respond. You need to learn how to say amen. You need to learn how to speak up and get a voice. When I hear the word of God preached, my spirit roars because I'm alive to him. Because I'm not thinking up here. I'm receiving down here. Because we're spiritual people. We've tried in the church to appeal to natural people. Carnal minds. Let's invite them with games and gimmicks and snow cones and ice cream. and Oh, and then we'll tell them about Jesus. And then we're like, oh, do you, would you mind if I talk to you about Jesus? Like, they're not asking you for permission to talk about their one-night stand and how smashed they were in the bar. But you're like, um, would you, would you mind? I'm like, no, I'm going to tell you about Christ. We were in that restaurant. We ransacked Emmys today, didn't we? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'll make you an offer. This is sincere, okay? Because we have no idea what we're doing right now. I know that's very um, inspiring. <laughs> I know you're all desperately ready to follow my leadership. But I'm serious. Do you want to come back tomorrow night? I mean, I felt like I was looking at an inferno tonight. Was that holy unto the Lord? I mean, this is one of the best meetings I've ever been in in my life. 
when you've been in meetings, when you've seen people come out of wheelchairs and you've seen deaf ears open and blind eyes open and you, and you start seeing the stuff and God's power break out, it changes your grid for, oh, we clapped and we danced. It's like, no, we want the power of God. I mean, I'm telling you, this is one of the best meetings I've ever been in in my life. There, there are so many things that are happening. So we're like, Lord, what do we do? I mean, I don't want to shut down God. I don't want to stand before Jesus and because of routine and because of schedule and because of we, we just like, you know, like, oh, we, we just can't do it. I mean, I'm like, what if Jesus is coming back next week? Am I going to really have wanted to be at home on Thursday night doing what? But that's the urgency that we live with. And that's why people accuse us and slander us because they don't get it. Because your lack of compromise intimidates lukewarmness in other people. So they get out their wet blanket to put out your fire because it makes them uncomfortable. Because rather than getting convicted and getting their own, they have to shut you down so that they can remain the same. Offense is easier than conviction. Because if I'm offended, you're the problem. But if I'm convicted, I'm the problem. And I've got to change. But we don't want to change. We have a problem. A crisis in the church. People don't want to change. If you are a Christian, you've signed up on the gospel train and it is headed for transformation in Jesus Christ. You are being made into the image of His Son, conformed to His death and raised to His resurrection. It's the whole point. But you can't want the benefits and blessings of a relationship with God without the sacrifice and obedience He requires. Oh, everybody wants to show up for the blessing. Oh, God bless me. And the Lord's like, I want you to die first. Everybody will show up for resurrection power. Oh, they're having revival at our Father's house. Let's show up. I said it last night. Do you know how many people would want to show up because revival's here and have no skin in the game and serve nothing and clean nothing and their life isn't even in order? Their kids don't know Jesus. Their marriage is a wreck. But we're here for revival. I'm like, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on. Because when you signed up, you signed up to die. You signed up. I wish I could show up in every church in America at one time. Wouldn't that be awesome? And just appear and say, it's not about you. Do you look at yourself in the mirror and say, get over yourself? You should try it. It's helpful. Look yourself in the mirror and say, you need to get over yourself. The greatest deliverance that God does through the Gospels, He delivers us from ourselves. I am so tired of me. I am so tired of my issues and my insecurities and my fears and my doubts and my... It's like... Kill me and give me Jesus so that I can do something that changes my region, that changes my generation, that actually leaves a legacy in the earth. So we're here and I'm redigging the wells of my father Abraham that the Philistines filled in because Jesus brings the sweetest revenge.
Y'all don't understand. Every time God starts moving in this place, I have flashes of memories as a little boy. Y'all, I grew up in spirit-filled things. This is why I struggle when everyone's freaked out about tongues, and I'm like, it's in the Bible. I thought you were a Christian, and this is the Word of God. I don't get it. I remember the first vision I had. I saw angels come down. I saw angels touch people. I'm a little boy. I'm sitting in the back, like, coloring, and I'm like, this is real. And I saw angels touch a few people. And I came up and I told my dad. I said, Dad, I saw these angels touch these people. They, they, got, they got healed. Wow. I had no idea what I was even. I'm just like trying to describe my little kid. But we like, we try to tell our kids and protect our kids from the Holy Spirit. Y'all, I, I don't remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think I've been praying in tongues my whole life. I think my gibberish as an 18-month-old, well, I was interceding. That's just how we grow. It's a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing that I want for each and every one of you, for your kids. I want them to have the experience that I do. Where when God starts moving in power, you're like, yeah, this is what Jesus paid for. Not, where is this in the Bible that I don't even read, that I make excuses for, that my life in God is dry, but I criticize everybody else? All the critics are on the sidelines. All the critics are retired. All the critics quit. People that are still in the game, that refuse to quit, just want to bless and honor and say, keep going. Because people that got skin in the game, it's like real recognizes real. Thank you. You can smell a pretender from a mile away. You can smell people that are giving to your church for access. Because in the American church, the biggest givers, oh, we'll make you an elder. You don't have to shepherd the flock of God that's among you. You don't have to pastor anybody. You don't have to meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You just have to be rich. Because this is the American church, and we do it our way. And deacons just cut the grass. Deacons are just a bunch of schlubs. Now, Stephen... Serve tables, chose in Acts 6, full of power, laying hands, seeing yeah. miracles. He preached so hard as a deacon. Yeah. Yeah. We, we think of deacons like they're like bimbos. Like, like you just show up and grab the chairs and you just... No, 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 no. No, deacons, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power. Stephen preaches. He set in in Acts 6. In Acts 7, he preaches so powerfully as a deacon, serving tables, meeting the needs. He gets stoned. I want deacons in this church that preach and get stoned for Jesus. That stir up religious devils because the Word of God is burning inside of them. We need an upgrade in the church. We need to stop making excuses for our lame offerings to God. I went on a mission trip when I was 18 years old. It changed my life in Guatemala. God brought so much healing. That's another supernatural story for another time. And we were bringing clothing 
to kids that were poor. And somebody gave me a bag of clothes that reeked like deer urine. Like, hey, I just had these clothes in the garage. And, you know, I mean, I'm like, I'm not taking this. Come on. But that's what we do to God. Yeah. That's what we do when we hear there's a need. It's like, well, let me, let, me go, let me go get the shirt in my closet that I never wear. What if you go get your favorite shirt? That's right. That's Say, man, I want you to have it. You look good in it. Because we need to learn how to honor. We need to learn how to sow. We need to learn how to grow up in our thinking and walk in kingdom power. How are we doing? No, I'm serious. Do you want to come back tomorrow night? Well, I gave my brother Jeremiah the Dickens on Tuesday. Said, dude, God is moving in power in our hometown, and you're over there sitting on the couch in North Carolina clipping your toenails. Can't nobody give it to Jeremiah like me, baby. I'm telling you, everybody's afraid of him, and I'm like, I'm going to get him. He came here in February two years ago, and he stayed in the hotel, and I opened the window. It was like two degrees. I opened the window in his hotel, and I closed the curtains. And he said in the middle of the night, he was shaking. <laughs> there, was, there wasn't a, a king-size bed. We had to get him a double queen. And he said, I was struggling. I mean, I literally, he had, the, he had the thermostat turned up to like 88 and it was like 52, and he's trying to sleep. So he went and he got the comforter and the sheet off the other bed and laid it on top of him. He said, I was laying pillows on top of me like, ah. and then I go to his hotel room the next night, and he's and it's like literally, it's like he's got all the way turned up, and he's sitting at his computer. He's trying to study to bring a word to the church, and you know, I'm like, what's, what's the Lord talking to you about, brother? He's like, man, the, this, the heat in here is broken and maintenance has been in here twice to look at it. I'm like, man, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> and I walk over, I'm like, have you checked the window? And I open it and then he had the most incredulous look on his face when the windows open this wide. It's like three degrees, like literally you could get a, a, a Slurpee, you can pull it right out and eat it. He said, you dog. <laughs> but I gave him a hard time. I said, dude, the Lord is moving in power. He said, if you guys go until Thursday night, I'll come. So I guess Jeremiah's going to have to drive or fly to keep his word. He said, I, I got to, I'm not sitting on the couch. I got Dr. Brown coming in and he's teaching the school. And he, you know, I'm like, dude, I don't care. Bring Dr. Brown to Indiana. <laughs> he really is very dedicated. Uh, this, there's no dishonor here. Jeremiah is an incredible man of God. But I just want him to see what the Lord is doing. I want my dad to see what God is doing. I want, I want my father to witness reaping the harvest that he sowed into for all those years. If you don't know, my father has terminal cancer. But I believe that God's going to extend his life like Hezekiah. He's been so important. This place would not be here. Without the support of Pops and Melissa Johnson, this place would not be here. 
That's a real statement. Y'all don't understand. When, when they moved, man, I, I, I lost my six. I lost the guy that was hanging in there with me. That was saying, I got your back. That was encouraging me. I want him to see this. I believe he needs to see this, even if it's just for a trip. I'm praying. I want to ask you to pray again. I know many of you are praying. You asked me, how, how's your dad? I believe that Pops is turning the corner right now. By the grace of God. He's had chemotherapy. He's had a stem cell transplant. That man has been through hell. That, that man refuses to quit. Everybody asks me, how's your dad? And I say, there's no quit in that man. I love you, Dad. This man has terminal cancer. He's, he's battling for his life. I show up in North Carolina in January to preach at the ark. And guess who says, there's no way I'm staying home. You want to talk about the support of a father. You want to talk about what it means to support your kids. Dad, you have set an incredible example for me. And you know, my dad has always told me, Paul, I just hope your sons love and honor you the way you've honored me. You know what he says about our father's house? He says, if you can't grow at our father's house, it's because you don't want to. That's right. Come on. It's the best compliment. This is a safe place for the hungry and a dangerous place for the lukewarm. Amen. The reason why people think we're so rude here is because they want to turn this church into a landing pad. And it's a launching pad. Because we want to learn how to pray and fast and seek the Lord and make a difference. We don't want to sit on the bench of religion and be a weakling and be impotent. Religion comes to neuter you. Pops, we're going to take up an offering for you, man. Where are the baskets? If you're still here, Emily, you want to share what you shared? Go ahead. You've got freedom. No, here. I I can project really well. Come on, girl. Um, Earlier tonight, the, the Lord just, the Holy Spirit told me that I was supposed to sow a seed into Pops. I've actually never met him. Um, Jeremiah is fathering our movement, so we've built a relationship with the Johnson family, but um, we've connected a little bit on social media. And uh, the Lord just spoke to me and said, my father, um, my family has abandoned me for following the Holy Spirit. Just got baptized in the Holy Spirit two and a half years ago, was raised Baptist, dispensationalist, all of that. And um, they don't talk to us anymore because we are planting a spirit-filled church. And the Lord, this, your whole message has been so healing for me. Because even though our story is different, just the themes are so overlapping. 
So as you are shedding shame and gaining freedom, as your sister, I am too. But the Lord spoke earlier tonight, and he said to me, if you sow a seed into pops, your father will come to know the Holy Spirit before he dies. And then... started talking about pops my heart was just burning and I'm like am I really gonna do this again I did this once in one of Tim Sheets service got up like in the middle of it wasn't even the altar call yet I didn't know better then I wasn't raised charismatic but <laughs> I do know better now but I'm like you know what like you, you get that feeling like it's gonna come out of my chest so thank you for letting me interrupt you pops we love you, love you. your sons are totally changing the trajectory of our life and so you are, and I just, it's an hour, this whole row right here, this hour of multi-generational legacy, Come on. this is changing the world. Come on. So I just honor each one of you, and I just honor Pops, and I just hope we can bless him with all our heart. Amen. Amen. Yes, you can text to give, yep. Yeah, if you, if you text to give, you need to go to the fund label. And if you just put benevolence in the fund, there's general, there's benevolence, and there's adoption. Just click benevolence, and we'll know. We'll see the cluster of, of gifts, and we'll get that to Pops and Melissa. I believe that the Lord wants them to at least come visit. They, they need to see. Pops needs to be able to see. That the wells have been reopened and that God is breaking out. Thank you all for honoring my father. This has been an incredible journey. And if you don't have your checkbook tonight, you, you can give tomorrow. So are we coming back? Yeah. <laughs> Lance, can you stay? Yes. You guys are right there. You guys need to make some calls to the churches. Hey, we got he said he already has. These guys are all pastors. They're, they're amazing. <laughs> he called Jesus. Amen. He said, hey, we got stuck in Indiana. <laughs> there was an avalanche of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Jesus, Lord. Wow. Oh, somebody text Jeremiah. Your brother's up here making a mess. <laughs> you did? Text him, Lance. Well, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow, brother. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you guys for honoring my dad. I believe that you will be abundantly blessed for that. They are, they are good soil. They love the Lord. They're honorable people, truly. I believe that if you stayed here this long, it was, it was for that moment. I really do. It was to reap. That was why I was preaching on money so much. I'm like, Lord, where are we going? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to do that before the offering. <laughs> you're 
Here's what I've learned. People are going to give if they really want to give. You know what grieves me? God moves powerfully and we don't pass the baskets and our offerings are like 30%. I'm like, really? So, so God moved and I, I don't know. I mean, and, and then my heart feels bad because it's like if, if that many of you are giving out of obligation because you just feel bad, just keep it and let the Lord work on your heart. Like, like pitching in a couple bucks to say, like, that, that's not how you cleanse your conscience. You do that through repentance. You do that through forgiveness between you and the Lord. You ask God, Jesus, make you my treasure so that I get up off of my money. I mean, the Lord told me when I was 19, if you're going to open your heart to me, you have to open your wallet to me. Thank you for giving. Thank you for tonight thank you for being here somebody stay here till 1201 so that I don't get in trouble but I feel like God has come and visited hey I do have a couch in my office (laughs) you'll probably have a prophetic dream I've done a lot of praying on it can we pray tonight just to honor the Lord can I ask you to stand Lance thank you for being so gracious and Allowing me to share. Thank you guys for being here. I just honor you all so much. Man, I feel so much more freedom in my heart.